Hey guys, it's uh, Andy here in another episode of the Mountain Malarkey Podcast with Dave. Hello everybody. How are we doing Dave? Yeah, not bad. We realise that uh, when we do the Tuesday tune-in over on Facebook, um, which we've been doing during lockdown... We had some comments and requests around, um, you know, not everyone's on Facebook, but people still wanted to hear about the content. There's been some great stuff. We've yeah. talked about bags. We've talked about Battle of the Treks. We've talked about trekking boots, mindset, fitness, loads of stuff. And we thought to ourselves, well, why don't we turn these into podcasts? Because like you said, Dave, they're, they're sitting down listening for an hour. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. This is a great format. You can do it on the go, put it in your car, listen to it. It's a bit interactive, so you're going to have seen us answer questions and stuff like that. Yeah, it's a bit different. Um, you know, but if you're listening to this, obviously, yeah. Um, and you have any questions about any of the things you hear, uh, podcast at evertrek.co.uk. Awesome, Dave. Yeah, enjoy the episode, and uh, we'll catch up with you soon. Yeah, all the best. First thing I'm going to do is, uh, yeah, obviously you're going to spot the third member of today's Tuesday tune-in, so I'm going to introduce Lisa. Um, many of you would have seen um, on our social media, and if you've already been to Nepal, that we've hooked up. Um, with Lahara, um, an awesome, awesome charity that does a lot of good work in the Kumbu. And we brought Lisa on to sort of talk about that today, why it's important, why Evertrek cares about that, um, and what we can all kind of do together to kind of further the cause. Because I think once you see what they're doing and appreciate what they're doing, you'll realize that there's it's a benefit for sort of everyone. So welcome, Lisa. Thank you very much. Great to be here. Excellent. Um, yeah, I think the first things people might want to know is a little bit about your background as well, because you've been to the Everest region before. I have, yes. Yes, um, you've been quite high I... <laughs> in the Everest region before. A couple of hikes, yeah. I um, yeah. I first visited the Cumbria region in 2019, uh, where I did a three-peak trek or climb, so uh, climb Lubbache, Island Peak and Bacaldi uh, during a five-week expedition. And it's safe to say that five weeks meant that I completely fell in love with not only the mountains, but mainly the people and the communities and that they've built there. So it's, yeah, it was a, a definite love from uh, the first few days that I was there. And I ended up going back again um, a couple of times since one for sort of Lahara set up, uh, but also I actually climbed Everest last year. Um, so that was my fourth time of going to, to that region. Amazing. Amazing. Which is so cool. So it, it's weird because I've been there at least seven times and I've never gone to the summit. <laughs> weird. <laughs> Which I think is <laughs> probably why I'm still here because I'm definitely judging by my my display on the stairmaster last night. There's a there's a, you know 15 minutes on the stairmaster and I think you would have seen me looking like I just summit. <laughs> um, yeah, there's always no, time, Dave. There's always time. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Oh, that's amazing. Um, so yeah, I mean, guys, I mean, so we can see here we've got Jerome as well. Darren Shadbolt is on. Um, yeah, any questions for Lisa, um, her experience in the mountains, um, that would be amazing. But really what I think we, we want to talk about is, um, is is how we hooked up, which is Lahara, which is sort of your, your, your initiative, your baby. So tell us a little bit about Lahara. And the history of that, um, because I, because we we think it's amazing, don't we? We we, we love it, and we can't stop talking about it yeah. <laughs> over here. And I know that when we've kind of pushed out on socials, that you guys are all super excited to kind of um, get your massage out there. So, do you want to fire away, Lisa, and give a bit of an overview? Yeah, of course. So, um, a couple of years ago, I was listening to a podcast, and it was all about uh, sustainable giving. So rather than just giving money to different organizations and charities instead you should try and give some some wealth but also give some wisdom and work towards the initiative so they labeled it the the three w's of, of sustainable giving and i remember listening to this podcast and and thought actually that's those sort of principles are so simple but are so effective um, and could this be applied to my area of, of expertise? So I'm a physiotherapist back in England. Um, I spent a lot of time mobilising new services for the NHS in the community. Um, and I thought, well, what if we just go out to a region, um, a rural high altitude region, and train up locals in how to do sports massage, 
um, give them all the tools that they need in order to be able to earn a really good living and a safe living. Um, and then they can go and provide for their own families um, and wider communities. And this idea developed over the course of maybe four or five months. And the only region that I could ever have imagined it, it happening in was the, the Kumbu um, in Nepal, so in the in the foothills of the Everest region, um, mainly because it had been the previous year that I'd gone there for the first time and, and fell in love with the area. But also from a practicality perspective, obviously it's a very popular area for trekkers. Um, so if you're going to set up a, a sports massage service that's going to benefit the community, you need a decent amount of, of footfall. So um, it seemed like a very obvious and sensible place to set it up. Um, so initially it was going to be very simple. It was going to be teach the locals some skills and then give them the tools and off they go. Um, but over the sort of following two years, it developed quite a lot into more of a, a community um, run initiative. So I think the main thing that I found that everybody's got very excited about with Lahara is not only you've got locals who are skilled and, and doing a really good job, but it's those locals that actually generate money and revenue that then goes into a community pot. And that community pot can then be accessed through financial grants for any organisation across the, the region, across the Kumbu Valley. So it really is that positive ripple effect that we've created. And that's where the name Lahara came from. So Lahara means ripple locally. Um, and we wanted a name that really reflected that that positive ripple effect. Amazing. So did you have the idea to Lahara? Was that conceived before you summited Everest? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, sort of we're talking to 2021 um, yeah. when, when it first started and I summited in 2023. Oh, amazing. Good. Amazing. I, I just I love that knock on effect, though. And I think that's what really makes Lahara stand out is is that it's so sustainable mm -hmm. and it 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 is it's so oh it just makes it so special doesn't it to trackers passing through that not only are they getting a massage but they're they're really having a, a big impact on that knock-on yeah. effect to really help improve like you know the quality of life and 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 help you know the the local area so so much yeah i think it's a perfect fit as well isn't it you couldn't have picked a better place a better market and a better people to kind of work with and one of the things that i think is 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 amazing is when we when we first hooked up you said you know it was about making sure that they can kind of stay home you know rather than be driven from the kumbu to the cities and things to do sort of what would essentially be some sort of service-based labor probably you know like in yeah. uh you know and now they're able to actually you know not not just you know go and provide services but yeah. learn a skill provide a service and stay home you know, yeah. if they don't want to leave their communities and their families and their friends and their, their life mm. behind, which a lot of, you know, people do have to do, they can stay there. And that's what I love, because I think that only ever enriches the community. You know, it keeps the money in the community, because as soon as you start leaving, you know, and you work in Kathmandu or something in a hotel, then obviously there's a cost of living that associated with that. So not a lot of it will then ripple back, I suppose, mm. to, to the Kumbu. So, yeah, that's what I really loved about it, because it's... It's, I don't know, it kind of feels like, you know, it's how things were meant meant to be, you know, that, that they can benefit from this tourism in a way that truly benefits them and by learning a skill so everybody gets the same yeah. sort of advantages out of this industry. Yeah, yeah, you know? exactly. So I mean, you're, you're, go on. Sorry, Rosie, I think that's one of the, the key things that we found as actually Lahara's developed. So uh, the six therapists that currently work for Lahara are all women. Uh, they age between 24 now um, and 40. Um, and of those six, four of them have children. And what we have managed to provide is that um, when those individuals are actually working in clinic, their kids come along. Um, so it's easy from a, a childcare perspective. Um, they, a lot of them, it is a, a hike from where they live uh, to where the clinics are. So they come along and do a four day, five day, six day stint, um, earn a decent wage, and then they go home and they can be with their kids and with their families for the next week, 10 days, and then come back again um, and do another stint of work. So it definitely fits in well with their own sort of family life and, yeah. and wanting yeah. to stay local. Um, and as you said, Dave, there's 
the benefit of this is that the tourism and all the money generated by tourism locally is going straight to the locals. There is no, I'm volunteer, all of the other people that work for Lahara um, that don't live in Nepal and aren't Nepalese or Sherpa, um, we're all volunteers. We're not linked to any Western agency. So we can say that every single rupee or dollar um, does stay very much local in that valley and, and benefits the locals, which I think is a big buzzword at the moment around responsible tourism and a sustainable tourism, that it's it's key to make sure that that money is going to the right places. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's one of the things that often pops up when you when you look, pe look at people that just operate on the traditional sort of uh, charity model of just sending money to a place mm. where, I mean, the truth is as well that when you send it to often like a third world, very poor country, it's very difficult sometimes to actually make sure that the money goes to the correct, you know, it, it has to go through certain channels of government perhaps. And, yeah. um, you know, and, and I think that you want them to get the full impact. And that's why I think providing the training and giving them the ability to actually earn a living from a ready supply of growing sort of customers, it's amazing, mm, you know, yeah. and, and also that community aspect of it where, you know, other people then through this initiative are able to kind of access grants and things like that. So you can kind of see that it's going to be exponential, I think. Um, and some of the feedback that we've had as well from um, uh, the Evertrackers that have gone there is that it's amazing, is that it's, it's massively needed and warranted, you know, and it was actually something that was kind of relatively missing from the service and from Namshi. I mean, there are places in Namshi you could go, but, you know, who knows about them and who's running them and stuff like that. And now this is actually perfect. You know, it's mm. it's, it's it's everything that I think ever we want Evertrekkers to kind of strive for, because we've always had the same mindset of, you know, that we only want to employ Nepalese people and, and you know, from the drivers to the hotel staff, to the guides, the porters. Um, and this sort of fits perfectly, I think, with that with that model, you know, that it, it, all the money yeah. and the effort goes directly to the people that are providing the service. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's all about being a sustainable traveller. And I think those two things haven't always kind of gone hand in hand. And I think that's what is the difference with Lahara is really taking strides forward in in just giving giving back and being sustainable and and being a conscious traveler and, and respecting the the people and and the communities where you are traveling to yeah and i think one of the key things that was very much at the, the forefront when we first designed lahara and, and and came up with the idea was yes it's about giving back but these individuals are have got the best work ethic I've ever seen. They are such hard workers. They're so motivated. They're lovely human beings. They just need a bit of um, knowledge from the skill perspective. And then they've all just run with it. They yeah. picked up the technique so, so quickly. They're constantly asking, can I work extra days? Can I work extra days? Um, they are really sort of just passionate and motivated. And I think empowerment has always been the fundamental principle of Lahara. They just needed a bit of empowerment and now they've gone with it. And I think long-term for Lahara, um, we are setting up a structure where it's gonna be completely run by the locals, owned by the locals. They can decide um, and are already deciding where will that community investment fund will go to benefit their own communities. Um, and they will then make a success out of it. And I think that, that empowerment for the six therapists that are working has been so powerful because they know when they turn up to work, yes, they go home with a really good salary for them for themselves and their family, but they also contribute into that investment fund by the sessions that they provide. So yeah, it's definitely a sort of circular model that seems to yeah working really well. Awesome. Yeah, it's great. Um, Jerome has asked, and I don't know whether he's been following you for a while, but did you do your training in sports massage at Loughborough University by any chance? No. Um, no. So, <laughs> I, um, so I'm a physiotherapist um, and I train at Birmingham. So yeah. don't know if it's, you know, right to say Loughborough scum on here. Yeah. <laughs> 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 between Birmingham and exactly, exactly. Yeah, oh, um, awesome. So, yeah, so I'm a physiotherapist, but I did a lot of manual therapy as a post-grad. Um, but our sports massage course was actually run by a tutor from the London School of Massage, Zach. Yeah. 
um, who has many years of experience of teaching sports massage, mainly in London. Um, I think he's over in Wales now, um, but also he's worked in other countries, Singapore, India. Um, so he's used to sort of designing specific syllabuses for specific markets. So we were incredibly lucky to have him on the team. Um, and we had another sports massage therapist that that came along. Um, so Zach's there in the, in the center with the red trousers. Um, yeah. And Paul to Zach's left, um, our right, um, is a very experienced massage therapist. Um, so the two of them specifically designed the, the syllabus for us and obviously taught it during the, the three-week course or two-and-a-half-week yeah. course. Um, and Stu, um, the other guy that's at the bottom there, um, he's a fellow physiotherapist um, alongside myself. So we had a really good um, four-strong training team. Yeah. Awesome. Wicked, wicked. We have had some questions here, so I'm just gonna um, fire fire them at you. Um, a couple of questions about kind of booking process and and how and how they can they can book on. So, do you want to just run through that? Yeah, of course. So, um, we've got some exciting development developments happening for this season. Um, so, we've been lucky enough to secure uh, an online booking platform, which will hopefully be going live uh, next month. Um, where you'll be able to go onto our website, um, so www.lahara.org, and there will be a booking link where you can physically book and choose the appointment of your choice on the day of your choice um, and, and pay for the session there and then. There is also an opportunity um, to come along when you arrive uh, in Nanchi um, and come and see me. So I try and make sure that I and welcome every ever trek group as you arrive in your lodge in Nanji um, and you can book a session through me um, during those those times otherwise again on our website you've got uh, all the information as to where the the clinics are in both Nanji and Dingboche so the two sort of acclimatization spots during your typical base camp trek um, and you can rock up to either of those uh, lodges and ask to to book into a Lahara session um, yeah. We'll be able to book that way as well. Awesome. awesome. Jerome's also asked, are there any cultural difficulties around women giving massages to trackers that we should be aware of? Is there anything that kind of trackers should have in mind? Um, I imagine like... ideally a shower first, I reckon, <laughs> given that where they've just come from. But yeah, my, <laughs> yeah, my understanding, it is a professional sports massage, right? So <laughs> yes. Um, so the, the cultural um, differences are definitely there and I think we spent a lot of time focusing on that as part of the training course so the training course of course we went through practical skills we went through um, theory anatomy but we also spent time on getting the, the therapists used to practicing on each other and going through a session making people feel comfortable when it comes to taking off clothing um, it is a sports massage, so yes, there are areas of the body that they need to be able to access to be able to give that full body sports massage. Um, but we wanted to make sure that every single client, every single trekker that came into the clinic was treated with dignity and respect, exactly like you would expect if you were having a sports massage in this country. Um, so spent a lot of work with the therapists around that. Um, they said themselves that it was very awkward and we could see that in the first few days of training, yeah. taking their own clothes off so that they could be practiced on. Um, but I think going through that experience themselves has then enabled them to have almost more understanding that when they're treating their own clients, what that client might be going through when it comes to undressing. So yeah, yeah. I think it worked really well. From a cultural perspective, there wasn't a big issue around a female uh, therapist treating a male tracker. We looked into that before we set up Lahara because obviously it needs to be appropriate in the local culture. We can't just impose something on them. Um, so we had a lot of conversations with um, locals when we were doing our initial sort of scoping exercises um, and there wasn't, wasn't that issue at all. That's great. Yeah, that's great. I, I'll be honest, I, I also do feel a little bit awkward when I have to get like undressed for a massage because there is uh, an assortment of rather embarrassing uh, tattoos <laughs> sort of all over. Like it's not just the ones you can see, there, there, are, there are other ones yeah. that have caused uh, a masseuse to burst out laughing, <laughs> you know, take, 
it's less relaxing then, isn't it? You know, <laughs> like that was uh, that was in a in a in a posh spa in Kathmandu, and I was lying there just relaxing, listening to this learning. All of a sudden, I could hear her giggling, <laughs> and uh, yeah. So Dave, you come, you're coming out to Namchi, aren't you, this season? So I, can't I am, yeah, I am, yeah. I would pre-warn them that there's some less than, you know, some, some really poor decisions made in my youth that I can't get rid of. <laughs> um, yeah, but so that 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 is, it, it is a problem as well. I often don't wear shorts when I'm trekking. You know, because there's some stupidity on the show that people are like, what's going on here? And I'm like, I can't. can't, can't give you an answer. Yeah, can you show us, Dave? Absolutely not, Jerome, absolutely not. That's, you, you, you are going to, no, not on the Tuesday tune-in. It's best. Post-watershed, maybe. Um, yeah, uh, John from Brecon has asked, um, so he wants to know a little bit more about your actual summit of Everest um, and kind of what it was like for you to reach the summit um it was incredible um it was so six years in the making six years of training of doing various different other um peaks and um different technical courses and obviously a lot of fitness um so it was uh for me a huge relief to get there because obviously nothing yeah. is guaranteed um it was also when i reached the summit when i first saw the summit and realized that i was going to make it it was an incredible feeling definitely had to hold back some uh, tears just to make sure that I could still see properly and, and keep moving. Yeah. Um, but actually getting to the summit wasn't the huge rev or huge sense of achievement that I thought it was going to be because my immediate thought was I'm halfway and I need yeah. to get back down this mountain and actually the hardest half is still to come. So there was very much a focus of I need to get off and I want everybody in my team and around me to also make it off safely. So, um, yeah, it, it was an amazing day. Uh, we got incredibly lucky with the weather. The wind had reduced from previous days when other people were summiting. It wasn't as cold as it had been. Um, and I didn't queue once. So I had really? a clear yeah. run in front of me for pretty much the entire summit day. So very, very lucky. That's amazing. Yeah, it's funny. We had um, another um, Everest summiter. I think we're doing really well, actually, that every Everest summiter we've had on here has been has been a girl, yeah. been a female, so all power mm -hmm. to them. Yeah. And uh, Tori James, she was the first Welsh um, person, uh, Welsh female to reach the summit. And uh, we've got to hook you guys up as well, because I think um, she wants to do a lot more, doesn't she? Yeah, and, um, yeah she's great. And um, she said the same thing when we uh, she came on, it was asked about it. And she said, yeah, you, you in your mind, in all the training you envisage this triumphant moment of sort of reaching the summit but it's not the same as crossing the finishing line of a marathon yeah you know it's like it, it's almost like you you cross the finish line of a marathon you get the medal and then you've got to run back to the start yeah. <laughs> you know so it's like she said it was yeah it was it was very very much that sort of thing yes she was super interesting to talk to wasn't she yeah she's she's she's, she's done some really cool um, stuff John's followed up with another question uh, based on something you said. He said, what uh, what were the, the sort of build-up peaks that you summited before you got to the Everest? Um, so the first peak I climbed was Kilimanjaro. Yeah. Um, then I did Mont Blanc. Um, then to Nepal to do Island Peak, Le and Picaldi. Um, the Eiger and the Matterhorn. Um, and I went to Kyrgyzstan just before... Uh, I went to Everest and climbed Peak Lenin uh, in oh, yeah, yeah. That's above 7,000 meters. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so I did quite a few different peaks, always trying to obviously increase in um, altitude and height, um, but also to try and increase in the technical requirements. So the last two two peaks, I tried to climb two, I only managed one in Kyrgyzstan. It was all fixed line rope work yeah. at the court at certain points carrying all your own gear so for me it was a bigger achievement than maybe Everest was going to be from a technical perspective to see yeah. a bit of a rocker, I guess before going really really high which obviously is Everest yeah that's it one so, of a, one of the Sherpas um he, he does a lot of our um sort of six days and meter peaks for us in Nepal he works Lenin um in the in the off season yeah. And he is, he's often, um, when I've met him now, he's often said about sort of going out there and doing it, but he, he kind of, he does say it's, it's no joke, <laughs> you know, because no. he, <laughs> yeah, absolutely no joke. 
Um, right, I'm just going to go through a couple more questions that are about Lahara. Jerome's also asked, um, what are, are the products needed for massages sourced locally to help the local economy, um, like with green credentials and stuff like that? Um, so all of our clinics, obviously, um, are local lodges, so the two clinics we run. So we pay monthly rent to the lodge owners. Um, which obviously goes back into the community. Um, from a plinth perspective, we did a lot of research when we were out in Kathmandu prior to Lahara going live. Um, we did end up choosing to use plinths from this country, which was a big decision for us because we ideally wanted a source from Kathmandu for, for multiple reasons. Um, but the build quality wasn't what we wanted and safety is paramount for us for obvious, obvious reasons. So. And we have had to um, bring plinths over from the UK. Things like towels and marketing materials, um, all those sort of things, we've got all of that coming from Kathmandu. Um, and then our massage oil, um, we have sourced from both Kathmandu and also from this country. So we've got both um, happening at the moment. Um, the oil in Kathmandu is actually incredibly expensive, <laughs> a lot more expensive than from England. So um, we have sort of made the choice to do a bit of a mixture because ultimately any any money we're spending on uh, consumables is money that can't go into the community investment fund. So yeah. we have to be very careful yeah. about how we spend money. Yeah, yeah. And in terms of um, like long term plans, obviously Lahara, you know, is is has proven you know just in its first season alone that it's been so successful um I'll let you kind of I know you've got some kind of stats um about that but do you have plans to kind of expand um to any other locations whether that be in Nepal or you know other kind of popular trekking destinations like Tanzania uh yes definitely so um I think Lahara and Amchi and and Dingbache will always be our our flagship I guess because that's where we started yeah. Um, but yes, we are a very ambitious team. And when I say team, I do mean the, the therapists on the ground as well. Um, our first season went way better than we could ever have hoped for. And we had great feedback from uh, trekkers, both in terms of the initiative, but also then post their massage in terms of how great it felt and, and how it felt that they sort of improved their flexibility and, and recovery. Um, and a lot of different uh, trekking companies have also shown interest um, in, in Lahara and the responsible tourism side of, of what we're offering. I think one of the big things that we want to do moving forward now, because it's established, we've got you know really good team on the ground providing those sessions and two really good clinics, that we do want to see how we can expand this, because if we can benefit other communities in a sustainable way, then why not? Um, what we're looking to do is actually, rather than have a an England-based training team go out there, have maybe one teacher from England go out there, but our current therapists, they will then get involved, and they've already shown an interest to do so, they will then get involved to be part of that future training team to train up other individuals. So I think our next area that we'd really like to get involved in is obviously the Annapurna region. Um, so a place called Manang over um, in the Annapurna region. So we can provide um, sessions to trekkers obviously during that circuit and also Annapurna base camp. And actually that particular region from a community investment fund is probably in need more so of that, that money than potentially the Kumba region. The Kumba region gets a lot of funding from a lot of different international and, and local charities because of Everest and because of um, all of the, the hype and publicity that it has. Whereas over in the Annapurna region, they get a lot less. And so actually the benefit that we could have over there, that positive ripple effect could be huge. Um, and then, yeah, longer term, it makes complete sense to think if we can replicate this in Tanzania for the, the Kilimanjaro sort of trekking industry. Yeah. Um, and I think, a lot of the relationships that we are currently building with trekking companies like yourselves um, would potentially be transferable to some of those other regions. Um, and we would hope that, again, we can use some of our 
therapists that by then they might be 18 months, two years qualified, um, they can still be part of that, that training team and they then get the opportunity to travel um, and go elsewhere. That'd be amazing, wouldn't it? Imagine that, you know, that you through. I know through, Jody through... and Zach would have been appreciative of oh, Lahara yeah. being when they when they did Killy because they they had some issue. Jody was suffering with a knee. Yeah, and... she's got a cartilage issue in her knee, and I think on day one she kind of went. So we had to <laughs> we had to do the best we could with with what with the expertise we had <laughs> to yeah. try and get the massage on there. But that'd be amazing, though. I think imagine that if you really were just um, a, a a young girl from the Kumbu that kind of got training mm. through a charity, and then before you knew it, was like traveling to Tanzania, this whole other world to kind of train other people in another country yeah. in the same situation. That'd yeah. be amazing. Yeah. yeah, because it is it is funny, like in Tan, it's how a lot of these places that we like to go trek in, they all largely similar in terms of like economy and, 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 and social and economic problems that they all kind of experience. Yeah. Where we've actually started hiring sort of female porters um i say started we, we ever since we started killy we've been doing it but um a lot of companies don't but um because i don't know there's some stigma i guess around sort of the the, the ability but actually in tanzania if you look at all the, the the stuff that they carry around the markets it's all the, the girls are much better at it so yeah we've done that and um you know but that's just one sort of revenue stream that not many people take up in the trekking industry I think we can build an industry around trekking, like the sports massage and stuff like that. That's where the real difference is made then, because they don't have to go and do these arduous, you know, tasks for, you know, not, and they can earn much more money from doing and actually learning a, a skill. That's amazing. Um, I had, I saw one comment on here. So uh, Andrew Scott said the oil is expensive and Heathrow took it all off him when he came back home. So Andrew was starting his own little business, I think, <laughs> up in New, up in Newcastle. Uh, Nigel Hawke said, "How big is that cup of tea, Lisa?" <laughs> so I think, I think it's like uh, I think that's like a forced perspective, though. You know, just because it's just because it's so it's so it's so close. To me. Um, yeah. uh, and Andrew Scott also did ask, um, "Is the massage service available um, to the non-tracking porters?" especially those carrying huge loads and, and building materials that, you know, we see every day on the trail? Yeah, really great question. So um, when we were first sort of designing the, the services, we were looking at having, obviously, the, the trekking sessions, for sorry, the sessions for trekkers at a set cost, um, and then a locals price. And the locals price, we would then run a clinic in the morning, potentially, um, when trekkers are off doing their acclimatization hikes, whereas the porters are um, resting. So that's what we wanted. And during the last season, we um, spoke to a lot of porters. We spoke to a lot of trekkers, actually, that also asked their porters if they wanted to have a session. Um, and there was a resounding feeling that we didn't. And when we looked into it a bit more, again, the, the cultural side of it, where we had feedback like they didn't they didn't want to have a session because um, they feared that they would get used to the feeling of having a session um, and they wouldn't want to then have to pay for it on a regular basis. So they'd prefer just to not know what it feels like to have a yeah. session. Um, the main reason that a lot of them said no was they didn't want to take their clothes off. Um, so they didn't want to um, have to go through that process in order to then have a massage. We have looked into that since because we do think it's really important that especially the porters who are carrying a crazy amount of, of load every single day um, and the Sherpas, the high altitude Sherpas as well, that actually we can do some techniques that don't require any clothing to be removed. So you can do really, really effective techniques through clothing. Um, which is something that we want to do as a, a secondary course for our therapists um, to try and negate that as an issue. Um, because again, if we can improve some of the um, livelihoods of those those porters and, and help out their um, tired bodies um, with the crazy amount of, of loads that they carry, then that's something we want to try and invest in. Yeah, awesome. Um, we've had one comment which might be useful from uh, a customer, Andy Platt, is traveling out to do Mera in October and he said he's a physiotherapist 
Um, and if there's any sort of scholarly literature or books or supplies or anything that you would want him to kind of bring out to help support, he's offering his assistance. Amazing. So, um, Thanks, Andy. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, exactly. So, Andy, yeah, <laughs> drop us a message or anything. We can see what we can do. Very, very kind of you. Um, Jerome, he's, Jerome's loving this. He, Jerome's been to... Um, he was a Gokio, wasn't he? Gokio. Uh, on a practical note, can you pay for the visa? Um, can you pay with visa for the massage or is it just cash? Both. Um, so online, um, you can pay using card um, yeah. or you can pay in cash. Either or. Awesome. And cash, you can pay in US dollars or local. Yeah, amazing. Diane's mentioned that she's doing Annapurna base camp and she is, she's wondering if you guys could come back to Kathmandu. <laughs> we've actually we've actually had this quite a few times where people have said, have you thought about setting up somewhere in Kathmandu? Yeah. Um, for those that have been to Kathmandu, there is a plethora of places already. The, the market is very much saturated there. And also it it would kind of go against what we're trying to do. We're trying to provide opportunities yeah. in the valley, local to where people have, have grown up and where their families are. Um, so, yeah, I think at the moment we'll probably leave the, the Kathmandu trade to uh, the places yeah. that we've already set up there. I mean, there is, there's lots of different, like, really good initiatives in Kathmandu if they want to get one there. One is, I think, we, we talked about it, Lisa, didn't we, was yeah. um, seeing hands. Yeah, which I think really employs, yeah, employs um, people who are, are blind but train them in massage. So, you know, if you're blind and, and you live in Kathmandu, it's, it, my God, it must be a horrendous way to, to kind of, you're not going to be able to find a job or do anything or travel much. But I think, yeah, that's a really good one. So, Diane, look up Seeing Hands. Um, yeah, they're, they're really good. But then when you're in Namshi, you're going to need another one for sure. <laughs> um, yeah, amazing. Um, I just want to have a quick look because we got some stats there. I did bring them up, but it might be good to kind of go through them a little bit because um, I do think it's really important. I've got loads of other. Um, here it is as well. Yeah, so I think it's really, really interesting that like for people to have a look through this and kind of see the, the sort of growth that you've had as well. Um, yeah, it's amazing. And I think where I mean, again, we couldn't have, have hoped for a better first season. We opened uh, the, the training school uh, on the 12th. The, on the 11th of September, none of us knew how many locals were going to turn up to the training school. Mm -hmm. uh, and so when a whole load turned up, so we had um, 11 trainees, it was brilliant. And it was obviously great. They were all really keen, really excited. Um, we went through during the two and a half week course lots of practical sessions we went through basic anatomy and theory lessons we taught them in lots of different ways to try and get over the the language barrier so um, we had these mini skeletons that we gave them all so they could help learn the different bones and the different joints we ended up using different nursery rhymes and changed the words to um big muscle groups to again really? to get different things to to stick um, we did lots of language as well in terms of certain phrases that they would need um so there's varying different levels of english uh, across the the trainees that we had um so yeah the, the course was brilliant and and i think one of the key things was around culture and leadership as well that we invested time in so yeah. lots of different exercises and and drills in order to bring the team together because all of these individuals were individuals and we wanted to form this really strong cohesive Lahara team um, so the training course went really really well um, and of those 11 seven trainees passed um, and six of those that passed have actively worked um, with Lahara last season um, which was great in terms of number of sessions so across six weeks so we went live with um, the two clinics from the beginning of October um, and we finished um, mid-November. So we saw a huge number of, of clients during that time, um, which was great for the therapists because it meant they could consolidate obviously everything that they'd learned and also they could see that the profession that they'd chosen to go into um, and take a risk to go into because this is the first of its kind um, was being well received and, and lots of trackers were really valuing what they were offering. So that was great to see. And I think the reason why we all are invested in this so much was that a significant amount of money um, has now gone into that community investment fund. 
and I'm heading back out to Nepal on Thursday. Um, and my focus alongside uh, Kunga, who's our new chairman for the, the charity, Laharas, the, the Nepal registered charity. Um, between the two of us, we're going to be doing a big um, advertising campaign. Um, so a bit of a, a roadshow across all the different um, villages in the Kumba region in order to advertise how communities and, and organizations apply for grants so that they can access some money from that that 3,000 um, US dollars that's in the pot at the moment. And that will obviously be contributed to throughout this coming season as well. So we believe that that will at least double by the end of this season because we expect the, the spring season to be a lot busier than the autumn. Yeah. Amazing. Amazing. Exciting. Yeah, well, I know um, Yeah, we're going to do everything we can as well. And we've already um, sort of sent out quite a lot to every Evertracker going out in the spring. So, I mean... I would expect of the ever trackers like a 98 percent uptake mm -hmm. you know is what i'm aiming for you know i'm going to give them two percent for the ones that feel a bit nauseous at namshi <laughs> um but you know us you're in namshi you're going to feel a bit nauseous just crack on i reckon isn't it? <laughs> um simon howard has another mountaineering question for you lisa he says now you've done everest and killy he's he's uh he's, he's sus that that's two of the seven um mm -hmm. do, you have, do you do you have a plan to go for any more um no, um, I've done Aconcagua as well. I forgot that one. So that's, that's three. Yeah, three, three. Um, but no, there's there's such a big time and financial commitment to, to climbing um, that I feel very lucky with the experiences that I've had to date. Um, so no, no ambition to, to climb any other of the, the seven. Um, and I definitely don't want to go anywhere near another 8,000er. I feel like I used That's up done. every ounce of luck um, on that <laughs> Everest expedition. So I don't want to, I don't want to push it anymore. I have got an ambition to climb Amadablam, I think just because of the love for the Kumbu Valley, the Amadablam yeah. mountain is very beautiful and picturesque and is the main focus for anybody that's doing that base camp trek. So yeah. the, the thought of being able to have an opportunity to try and climb and, and summit would be amazing yeah and actually depending on your argument mont blanc sometimes is included as one of the seven because it's whether it's the european sort of landmass yeah, yeah. or europe you know so um but I, I think mainly it is excluded but you know i'm going to give it four. that's four and uh, rosie's going to name the uh the rest <laughs> um, I might, I might okay. do Kozlowsko in Australia while well, that still counts as one of the one of the seven. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I did. I did want to just draw um, all the ever trackers' attention to the cool article that you kind of wrote for us last week, um, just about being a conscious traveller, and it it really kind of gives a really nice overview to um, to not only Lahara but just a wider scope of of how we can be more aware when we're out traveling and, and things we can do and a lot a lot of um the things you mentioned just about sustainability and just you know being um aware and and you know some of the projects that are kind of going on out in nepal um especially kind of on on the trail do you want to talk a little bit about that yeah i think i've i've had a passion for travel since an early age and I've been very lucky to have some incredible experiences. Um, but if I ever had to summarize my most valued experiences, it's always been the interactions, sometimes completely unplanned, but interactions with locals and um, yeah. really getting to understand how they live and getting to meet their families and learn from them. And I think that's a, that's a big thing that I've found with Lahara is that I've learned way more from um, the the rest of the Lahara team that's obviously out in Nepal um, than I think I've taught or the rest of the team have taught them. Um, so I think the, the benefit you can get from just taking a risk at times and exposing yourself to um, do things that are slightly different um, or get involved or just having conversations, putting, you know, getting yourself out of your comfort zone and, and striking up a conversation with a, a shop owner or a lodge owner or your porters um, a lot of the porters you know their english is is limited for some of them some of them are brilliant at english and obviously english 
ends up being that that international language that really opens up and and gives individuals opportunities to work in tourism so allowing them and helping them to to learn a bit would be huge for them um, and the, the, the feeling you would get back from that interaction and things that you could learn from them as well um, I would bet would be some of the most memorable and valued experiences that that travelers that trackers um, can have so I think yeah just getting out your comfort zone and, and doing things while you can is definitely a, a recommendation the other big initiative that is in that article is Sagamartha Next. Um, so it's run by a guy called Tommy, um, who now lives um, in, in Namchi, just, just to the north of Namchi. And it's all about um, how we can educate and um, improve the way that rubbish is either used in a, in a positive way or collected and taken out of the valley. Um, so there's a big sort of... Uh, I guess it's a, a, a big museum that you can go and have a look at um, on one of your climatization days when you're in Namchi and see some of the work that they've been doing. And they've got some really cool tech now. You can go and um, use their VR headset and stand on the summit of Everest and it's incredibly real. I went and tried it and got good. Yeah. Um, so you're like, no, 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 no. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, it's, it's a great initiative. And again, that was just set up by a few people that wanted to try and, and think differently and, and do something that was really going to benefit the long term, um, benefit the region in the long term, which is what's so important at the moment. Yeah, it's amazing as well. I remember first seeing that uh, the Carry Me Back initiative, I think in April 2019. And I had no idea what it was because on my way up, you can see people coming down with all these like, little silver bags on them and I, I stopped and asked someone about it and um typically I, I picked a German that didn't speak English <laughs> so I asked someone else and you know, I thought it was amazing I couldn't mm. I couldn't believe it at the time because I was there a little bit before that and it I hadn't seen it at all and then it was great and it's just you literally just you know for those people that are going um you know to the Everest region this year on the way back down you can go and just clip these like little uh, process bits of trash really but they're in these little like ziplocs and you just clip them to yourself carry yeah, them down yeah. and then you can deposit them at Lukla such an ingenious and simple way of getting so much of that rubbish off the mountain um yeah absolutely great so idea good. loved it so good I'm just gonna read through and see if there are yeah we may have a few more comments. um Let's have a look. While we're doing that, I'm going to flip through some pictures as well because we've got some nice mm -hmm. ones of the team that I've been flashing up as well. So the, the, these are the girls. These are the the ones that have uh, the, uh, are these all the, the the six that sort of passed the program. Yeah, they are yeah. indeed. Um, so the the Lahara family. Um, yeah, they're all all fab fab individuals and such good therapists. I had the you know really hard task of having lots of massages to uh, help them. Really. Were you <laughs> it was tough it was a struggle um, <laughs> but yeah I've, I've done a lot of teaching of, of qualified physiotherapists um in, in in england and these guys their their practical techniques are incredible um yeah. i would happily pay for a massage from any single one of them oh amazing amazing um, so that's namchi so that's where you where you arrive and uh, the beautiful yeah. beautiful village um, so our our clinic is right in the heart of that, and a lot of uh, a lot of the questions I often get from Mever Trekkers when I go and say hi is where is the clinic and do I need to go up or down any steps? Yeah. <laughs> and it just yeah. happens that it's pretty flat from where you guys stay to to the clinic. Um, Absolutely perfect. So yeah, obviously the the important things have been considered there. <laughs> I did remember the first time I ever went to Namshi and my. Um... The hotel we were in was right at the very top just as you're about to join the trail to leave absolutely yeah. gutted <laughs> <laughs> like, you know because um uh, we've had another technical question here as lahara is a charity does it get tax relief from the nepalese tax um system <laughs> um very good question um i'm gonna say we are still investigating that at the moment is probably the best way to answer that question. <laughs> yeah, I think negotiating the any sort of Nepalese governmental system 
is um, it's less straightforward, very bureaucratic, and not simple. <laughs> like as a in some just in some of the uh, yeah. the dealings that we've mm -hmm. had, um, I think it largely depends on who you speak to and yeah. stuff like that. But yeah, certainly there were some complications. But yeah, yeah. awesomely. So I think that's been I think that's been amazing. And um, we'll obviously we're going to continue to support Lahara because we do think it's such a valuable and unique and like such such a perfect fit. I think for the region yeah. and for what we do and. You know, and it's one of the things I think that, yeah, I can't wait to get out there and actually, you know, try it myself and experience oh, no. it. It's going to be amazing. But Lisa, thank you so much. And obviously, if the guys want to sort of book in a massage, they just need to. Um, you, you mentioned that there was an app um, coming. So is that already in place or? Um, so via the website. Um, so uh, lahara.org is the website and there'll be a link very soon by the booking page that you can then book online so it's all um yeah. web-based as opposed to app-based um but yeah that'll be an option um also just nice and simple whatsapp and an email uh, as well yeah. you know in order to sort of pre-book appointments we can hold appointments back that way um so yeah nice and easy yeah awesome. well, I'm sure I... that most of you will see see um who's, who's heading out soon we'll see lisa um out there as well yeah. which will be really nice awesome and i encourage everyone to sort of go to the lahara website if you're going trekking with us um look out for your pre-arrival email because we've put all the information you need to get the massage on there as well and um yeah reach out to us reach out to lahara and um let's support it because um yeah it's, it's an absolutely amazing thing but lisa thank you very much um yeah i think we've uh, just about exhausted all of the questions um so yeah what an amazing Tuesday tune we're going to put thank this out so now much. and um yeah amazing and hopefully i'll see you in namshi in a few months <laughs> thanks both and i think just um everybody at lahara we've been blown away with how supportive evertrek have been um both yourselves in terms of promoting but also the feedback we've had and the, the warm welcomes we've had from a lot of evertrekkers as well that have said oh we've heard about you and um, oh, you're, you're that massage crew, and yeah, <laughs> yeah it's, been, it's been really amazing, and, and the focus that Evertrek put on responsible tourism by supporting an initiative like Lahara um, is really, really great to see. So, yeah, thank you. Awesome. Yeah, no, no worries. So uh, I'll, I'll certainly so continue to, to work as hard as I can, and obviously when Rosie can, she helps, and um... <laughs> <laughs> she wants to snap at me, but we're live. <laughs> Rosie does 90% of the work. 99% of the work. Well, it's Rosie always, does all the work. Well, Lisa not. does the work. You help, and then you shout at me. It's a, it's a good. It's a good system here. It's a good system. It's a well-oiled yeah, machine. No, yeah. No. Oh, I said, let me tell you, she doesn't need any training in shouting at me. That's uh, really good at it. Yeah. Yeah. I got shouted at before we went live. <laughs> As I walked into the room, I heard, "Oh, is that him?" <laughs> Come on. Uh, but anyway, thanks very much, Lisa, for joining us. It's been great. Thank you, everybody. And uh, yeah, support Lahara. And um, yeah, we'll see you again. Awesome. Take care. Bye. Bye. Thanks, everybody. Bye.